Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel, short story, essay, memoir, basically anything you write, it's really hard to get down on the page. So this summer, we are discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, we are very lucky to hear from British author Charlotte Rickson, also known as Charlotte Duxworth, who is going to share the first pages of her latest novel, The One That Got Away, which releases in August for her U.S. debut. Good morning. Good morning, Charlotte. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Charlotte Rickson is the pen name of Charlotte Duckworth. I keep wanting to say Ducksworth, but it is that is wrong. And I've already said it wrong once. So everyone, it's Charlotte Duckworth. Uh, she is the USA Today bestselling author of suspense fiction published by Quirkus. Charlotte studied classics at Leeds University and went on to gain a postgraduate degree in screenwriting. She worked for many years as a magazine journalist and a graduate of the Faber Academy Writing a Novel course, which sounds very cool. I also teach a novel course, so I'd be curious about that. Uh, her novel, The One That Got Away, will be published in the UK and the US both in 2023, and the film rights have been optioned for a major US publisher. So congratulations on that, Charlotte. That's absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we're very excited that she's crossing the pond uh, to be with us. Um, Charlotte, why don't you give us kind of an overview of the book's um, storyline? And then when we hear your first pages, we'll have some context. Yes. OK, great. Um, so this book was a bit of a departure for me because, as you mentioned, I'm, I've previously published a lot of suspense fiction and I actually wrote this uh during lockdown I know that's quite cliched now I feel like all the writers lockdown books are coming out this year but um I had a big birthday in lockdown I turned 40 and I really wasn't very happy about it and I also it was like that lockdown in the UK where you couldn't go anywhere so you, I couldn't even go to the supermarket it was like you just trapped in the house but anyway I was kind of you know, I think a lot of people during the pandemic got quite nostalgic, started thinking about their lives and what's happened to them so far. And I, I've always been very fascinated by the topic of first love and how your first love sort of impacts your future relationships. And it was something that obviously doesn't really fit into my other kind of genre as a topic that I could write about. And I just thought I really want to write about this kind of tragic couple who fall deeply in love when they're so young. And then they're torn apart and I wanted to sort of examine how that affected them throughout their lives so the novel is set over 20 years and it begins um quite dramatically as you'll see in it and then we kind of go back in time and we meet these this couple when they first met and then we see how they had this kind of very volatile sort of slightly childish relationship because they're only 18 when they meet and actually 18 is just a child really like when you look back when you're 18 you think you're you know everything but actually when you look back you think oh my goodness you're so young and you're so not naive but you're so sort of open to everything and you really fall for people <laughs> you're not as guarded as you are later on so yeah they have this very passionate kind of volatile relationship while they're at university and then it ends in tragedy which I won't talk about because that would spoil the book and then we kind of watch them sort of coping with that over this period of 20 years um so yeah it was kind of like I wanted to examine that theme of first love so I always say to people it's not a love story it's a story about first love um and yeah it's kind of it's quite it's quite dark um it's, it's not <laughs> right my alley, 
<laughs> right down my alley. I have, I did read some of the reviews and people seem to just really fall for this couple. Um, so whatever, you know, whether it's a, a love story or not, people get very, very invested in this couple, but we start with something very, very different. So yes. Charlotte, go ahead and read that. And then I'm also going to have her read part of her first chapter so that we can see how she transitions. And, and then we'll talk about why she started where she did. Okay. And um, I'm going to read the first chapter, as you said, and then when I start Clara's chapter, if you, I'll keep, yeah, I'll try and find a good place to stop. Otherwise we'll be here for hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is the prologue. Um, April 2022, 4.57 p.m. It's a hotter day than anyone anticipated for April, and he's sweating, but not just because of the heat. The backpack, so carefully laden with its components just a few hours ago, is sticky against his back. He's wary of the crowds jostling him as he strides towards the stadium. He has been here so many times before, he knows the place as intimately as he knows his own home. Today, he has feigned illness, and for the first time in years, missed the game. They are spilling out now, a swarm of ants in red and white striped vests, buoyed by their unexpected win, 3-2 at home to a worthy opponent. Collective euphoria electrifies the air. It's a sickness, an epidemic, and soon they'll be cured of it. His face burns red with the effort, the weight of the bag, the internal countdown in his mind. Not too much longer, seconds, literally seconds, before it will all end. His heart is hammering, he realises he has been holding his breath. A hand flies to his forehead as if to steady him, and the sea of people, mostly men, mostly three pints or more down, coming towards him, those red and white worker bees, start to blur and merge. Homogenous people, almost indistinguishable from one another, 52,000 of them. It's impossible to see them as anything but one mass, a moving entity, nothing individual about them at all collateral damage. But then one stands out to him, a girl, no more than six, held high on her father's shoulders, waving a scarf, hair in bunches, grinning from ear to ear. It's almost too much. He sucks air into his lungs, turns away, head down, keeps walking. Bigger strides to put distance between himself and the girl. He mustn't think of them as individuals. The stadium is just a few feet away now, security on the doors, making sure everyone gets out safely. This is the side where the VIPs go after the game. He knows he'll be in there celebrating. He has planned it all so carefully. His fingers fumble for the detonator. He says a short prayer to no one in particular that he has got it right. And then a second's pause. He looks down at his free hand, turning it over and marvelling at his skin, the lines across his palm, the blue-green of his veins. Someone bumps against his shoulder as they pass. He is at the entrance now, as close as it's possible to get. It's time. In the end, it's no more difficult than letting go of the string of a balloon. He presses the button and then he is gone. So then it goes to part one, which is <laughs> April 2022, 5.02pm, and this is Clara's point of view. The woman next to her in the ladies' loo is staring down at this row of sinks in confusion. It's on a sensor, Clara says, smiling. Just wave your hands underneath, see? She flicks her own hand back and forth underneath the tap spout until the water begins to spurt. For some reason, it's too hot, always has been, but there's no way to control the temperature. Thank you, says the woman. And the soap? 
Clara gestures to the underside of the mirrored wall in front of them. Under here, she says, also automated. And the hand towels are here, not automated. The woman smiles at her again. She looks familiar, but Clara can't think why. First day, Clara says, she's been away from her desk more than 15 minutes now, but sod it, it's Saturday afternoon, slow news day. I'm freelance, the woman says, holding out her hand. Holiday cover, I'm a sub, nice to meet you, I'm Natasha. Clara, <clears throat> Clara says, shaking her hand, I'm... There's a beat where she remembers that she's not the social media editor anymore, not since she gave it up to go part-time to focus on her novel after she was signed by a literary agent. I work in the audience team. I stop there. I could keep okay. going. That's the first page. I mean, it's, yeah. Wonderful. Yes, very, very good. Okay. So this first chapter is not, is from the point of view of someone that is not in this love story. No. <laughs> uh, so why did you decide to start with him? It's a very good question because that's his only chapter. Well, obviously he's dead, yeah. so <laughs> he doesn't come back. Um, do you know what? When I when I thought about writing this novel, I wanted to make it quite epic, and I thought there's you know there's been a lot of terrorism in our you know modern times, and I I think there was a bomb in Manchester in the UK that was hor horrible at a, like a concert, and I remember I don't know if you know this they had this thing on Facebook where you can mark yourself as safe and stuff like that, and I just thought you know if you knew that somebody you loved. I'm sorry let me go back to the beginning because I'm not making this clear so in the story the two main characters the boy in the character the boy in the love story he is an obsessive football fan so um Clara who is the main female protagonist is aware that he goes to every single football match and so I wanted to kind of open with what would you do if you knew somebody that you know really meant a lot to you was possibly going to be at the scene of a bombing and how would that affect you? So kind of, I really wanted to grab people's attention immediately. I think that was one of the main things. I wanted to make this a really kind of big story rather than it being a kind of slightly smaller canvas just between two people. You know, obviously there's so many repercussions when these things happen, it's absolutely tragic and horrendous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a combination of all, all different things. And the interesting thing about this chapter is I, I wrote it first and it never changed, which was nice because usually with my novels, the first chapter gets rewritten 300 times. Um, but I just had this kind of, I wanted to create that sense of horror. And then as Clara's chapter progresses, um, she's at work and she hears about this bomb on Twitter and it kind of shows her immediate like visceral reaction, which is, oh my God, he might be there. I've got to go and find him. And she gets on a train and that's how her chapter continues. She goes up to try and look for him. Um, so it was kind of a combination of all things, but it's interesting because it's a love story. Well, you know, it has a romantic element. A lot of people are quite shocked by the beginning. <laughs> it's not a conventional um, opening for a love story, I don't right. think. But <laughs> I do like, I do think it adds, I think you said it it, it gives it a wider camp, uh, canvas. It does add some tension and significance when you have this larger context behind a, a smaller front story. And it, that can add a lot of interest and tension. Um, yes. So I, I think that's, I, and I love books that do that. So I think that's what it helps you to achieve. Yes. I also like here that um, you don't name him. And mm -hmm. I think that's really smart because he himself is trying to consider his victims as homogenous people, as ants, not as individuals. So to treat him not as an individual um, by not naming him kind of stands out. And I, and I think it actually it works quite well. And we're focused almost 
almost more on that little girl who shows up. Does she become important later or was that, did you just want a heart tug there? I wanted a heart tug there. So yeah, she is not um, actually, yeah, she's she's just a sort of symbol really of the kind of what this is going to do to people. I think as well, what you said is interesting because with I really didn't want this book to be about the bomber. And it's not about, it's not, he's not a religious bomber anyway, but it's not anything to do with that. I really wanted to kind of narrow down on how those things impact a few people. So we don't, I mean, he does come up later in the story. I won't spoil it, but um, it's not about him. It's kind of the book is not about him and his motives or even questioning why, you know, why he's done what he's done. I didn't want it to be about that. I kind of really just wanted to see how these, these huge events sort of draw focus, I guess, and make you really think about, your life, I guess, in a similar way that the pandemic pandemic did a little bit when I was writing it, it was making me think about my life so far and what I'd done and my past. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was a bit, I suppose, a slightly a bit of a device for the plot. But also, I like, I hope that it creates a bit of suspense as well. And obviously, I write suspense fiction. That's my kind of main genre. So for me, it's kind of quite natural to have quite sort of big, scary things happening. <laughs> And it does seem important to you that he's not religious. I'm trying to find the line because I, there's something about he says a prayer to himself, but he's never been. No one in particular. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He he says a short prayer to no one in particular that he has got it right. Yes. Uh, was it important to you? Because that I also think helps you avoid um, some assumptions about yes. who he is. Yes. Uh, some assumptions that you probably didn't want. Yeah, I really didn't want to write about that kind of terrorism. I mean, it's interesting because I think I was talking to my agent in the UK about this because I think later on the book, it might be described as a terrorism incident. And she was saying, what is the definition of terrorism? Does it have to have a religious or a political connotation? I think it might do. I can't remember now. Um, but I, I wanted to remove any this. The reason he does this, you do find out why, is much more personal. So um I definitely, you know, I don't feel qualified to talk about that kind of thing. It's not something I want to explore in fiction. It's, you know, there's just, it's too big a topic really for me. So it was more, you know, it could have been a natural disaster. I just wanted to create something really massive that to happen that would kind of disrupt these characters' lives. Um, yeah, so definitely it wasn't me trying to sort of examine terrorism. Or religious <laughs> terrorism. Yeah, that just takes in another direction. So, and he's obviously there. The person that he's after seems to be inside and in the VIP, VIP area. So yeah. we know that it's kind of a more specific target there. And then there's this moment when he pauses. Mm -hmm. And this seemed a very human moment. Um, he looks down at his free hand, turning it over and marveling at his skin, the lines across his palm, the, the blue green of his veins. Um, why did you go there? I think I wanted to, I wanted him to be human and I didn't want him to be a monster. And actually you do find out why he's done what he's done later on. And he has, I'm obviously not defending it, but he, he has reasons. And I do, I have this kind of slightly, I'm not religious, but my own religious belief is that most people are doing the best with what they have, that most people are good. And most people, the reason they're doing things is, you know, something went wrong and it's it's had their way of coping. So I feel like I wanted, you know, he, he has a motivation that obviously what he does is horrendous, but at the same time, yeah, I wanted to humanize him. It was kind of important to me, but also I didn't want it to be really graphic. So the book is not graphic at all. I mean, you don't really hear very much 
but I feel like sometimes being more subtle with it is more powerful and just the idea that this is just a he's almost he's a boy really you know like he's just to do that it, yeah I wanted to bring people kind of right really relieving that he's an actual human being and not it's so easy to vilify people um so yeah but also the idea that he could have not done it is quite um I want to have that moment where he could have changed his mind when he looks down but he's still decided right. not to I, I think that moment does really humanize him it's just a few lines and it's very it's very quiet um and it's just implied um so I think that works quite well and you know I think lots of times if we're like, oh, a novel starts with a major bombing, we mm -hmm. would refer to that as a loud opening. But yeah. and, and and it's kind of difficult to go from a big opening like that to something quieter. And I'll ask you about that next. Mm -hmm. um, but this isn't quite the loud opening, because like you said, you're trying to avoid that gratuitous violence or you're trying to avoid. So we actually stop before it hits. Mm -hmm. So we don't blood and the chaos and the screams and because we don't really need that no. uh, and I think I think that's quite good too then as you move into the first chapter with Clara now you said that these were this opening was always your opening but did you always move to Clara next oh that's a good question yes I think so actually I'm it, yeah this was one of those books where it did sort of flow quite nicely from the start um I've, it probably got edited a bit, but yeah, it definitely did immediately. I wanted it to go to her finding out about the bomb. So as that chapter follows through, as I said, she's she's at work. She's then she sees because she works for a newspaper. There's obviously people in the corner reacting because they've seen that this has happened and people are posting footage on social media of the bomb. And so she kind of immediately is like, oh, my God, I have to go and find out if he's OK. Um so it's quite a quick, um, obviously that bit that I read is more her meeting somebody, which she comes up later as well. So I'm sort of laying all these breadcrumbs. Um, but yeah, it kind of, I wanted to feel immediately that you're connected to her and it's all about her reaction to what's happened. And there's a little bit of almost a quest for her because she immediately goes off and tries to find out whether he's alive. And we don't find out as the reader if he's okay until a bit further on in the book. It's not a huge spoiler, but he doesn't die in the bomb but um yeah anyway I won't it's hard isn't it when you start talking about your book you don't want to give too much, too much <laughs> well, they don't try to think back like why did I do that yeah and we want to say oh I did that because I'm a genius and yada yada yes. yada yeah we can't just kind of, it just kind of happens which I actually think helps other writers knowing that you actually don't need to be a genius you just need to get words on a page um what's interesting what I'm realizing as you're talking so as she leaves the bathroom and if she's at work you probably couldn't have started her at her desk in the larger office because then she would have been hearing at it hearing of it at the same time as everyone else you actually needed to isolate her and yes. what's the best way to isolate her is to put her in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> well, and I also wanted to give a little hint about her general state of mind. So she's a bit disillusioned. And, and the next page, she's talking to this girl who started chatting to her about her. It's her 10-year uh, wedding anniversary coming up. And they talk about that briefly. And you sort of you hear her inner thoughts, which is that she's not particularly happy about the fact they've been married for 10 years and her marriage is not a particularly happy one. So again, these are sort of slight, tiny little bits that you're learning about her as you go before it becomes this great big, oh my God, I've got to get on this train. I've got to go and see. Um, so yeah, and I also just think, you know, I like the idea of her having a moment with another woman 
in the toilet because it's just so normal like that's the sort of normal thing you're just getting on with your everyday life and then you hear about something I mean this is horrible but yesterday there was an awful um car accident in Wimbledon I used to live in Wimbledon and this um SUV vehicle drove through a school when they were having like a picnic and killed an eight-year-old and I've got a seven-year-old and it you know I just heard it on the news obviously I don't know the people involved but immediately I just was like oh my god so I it's that your whole day can just be turned upside down in a minute you're having this very mundane day she's bored she doesn't really like her job anymore um you know she's not particularly happy in her marriage and then it's like whoa basically someone blew up her life which is a horrible um metaphor <laughs> but um that but is yeah and, and matching that just having those opposites so setting up the mundane um so that the the horror of the moment stands out even more um works very well I also think here you know yes it's an ordinary moment of women at a bathroom but she also seems like a nice person <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you know we talk about a character's likable or not. I'm not particularly interested in that. I'm more interested in, in interesting characters. But she's helping this woman with the, you know, and and I think we all have problems with these damn automatic taps, especially <laughs> yeah. when they don't, so when they don't work. It's like I'm here, I exist. Why can't you see that I exist? Um, <laughs> she what what's dangerous here is that she has gone to part-time and is going to be focusing on her novel so you've made her a writer why did you decide to do that do you know what uh, that is such I used to be one of my rules was that I would never write about writers because so many people do, do it yeah. I mean I'll be honest so her as a character there's a lot of me in her like is this this is probably one of the most personal books I've ever written it came very easily to me I this, this the period where they're at university and they meet and they're very young and it's interesting you saying that she seems likable because I've had a lot of criticism from people saying she's very unlikable when she's 18 but I mm. feel like she's very insecure she has a whole load of reasons for she's very kind of mistrustful and um anxious like she has I would say she had ter terrible anxiety although I didn't specifically kind of name that um and people are like oh she's so paranoid and insecure and I'm like oh my god she's 18 like she's just trying to find a place it's so hard being an 18 year old girl and um so yeah I wanted to show her kind of she matures obviously by this point this is 20 years later um but yeah well sorry what would I've lost my thread now <laughs> why did you make her a novelist Oh, yes. So um, so as I said, she was very similar to me. And obviously, I always wanted to write. I was a journalist for a long time. Um, I didn't work for newspapers like she does, but I worked for a magazine. And I think I just wanted her. She's a very thoughtful person. And I wanted her to have an outlet that was going to sort of help her cope with the things she's gone through because she's had like some serious trauma. Um, and I mean, it's just, you know, I... I, I I suppose because she is partly me, it seemed like a natural thing to have. She wanted to have an like an artistic expression, and and also there's a little bit of it's not quite yellow face, but there's a little there are a few in jokes to the publishing industry throughout the book, which were quite fun. You know, just like there's a there's a scene later on where she's in a writing group and someone says, "Oh, the main character in this book is so unlikable." You know, did you do that? You know, I don't think anyone's going to sympathise with her. She's always whinging, and obviously that was for me was literally an in joke. And then I had a few people saying, "Did the author realise that, that you know that they said this character is unlikable? Was she was that was that deliberate, or does she not realise her character is really unlikable?" And I was like, "No, no, I know, I know she's unlikable because when she's eighteen, she is basically quite jealous and insecure." But um, 
you know, it's fun sometimes to play with that. <laughs> that is that is fun. And it, you're basically calling out people that might call you out on creating yeah. unlucky characters. So it's, it's yeah, they didn't <laughs> quite get it. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> that's um, you also play with time a lot in this book. You're, you're jump, doing a lot of time jumps. So in this particular one, we've only jumped a few minutes, which creates a nice inconsistent, a, a nice consistency, I think. How did you handle time throughout the novel? That was really challenging. And I will say, I can see, I've had, again, a few people been like, oh, it's too, it jumps around a lot. But I think, again, this was a very natural book to write. If it did flow quite easily. Um, I think the hardest thing actually was when you're covering 20 years is to know which bits to put in and which bits to leave out. Because obviously I couldn't write their entire 20 year story of what they did right. after they blew up. Um, so I had to kind of pick significant moments. But we did have, I did have a discussion with my editors about, the time stamp. So each um, chapter has a kind of, well, if it doesn't have a time, it has like a date. So you're very clear where you are. I wanted, I didn't really want my readers to get confused because I know that's really frustrating when you're like, hang on a second, what last, you know, we've yeah. jumped for four years or we've gone back in time. Um, so I, but personally, I actually love that. Like one of my favorite books, do you, does Maggie O'Farrell publish in the US? Oh yeah. yeah, we all love Maggie yeah. O'Farrell. Yeah. yeah, so after you'd gone, which is completely like, the time is so fluid you don't really know you read it and you're like I'm not sure where we are but it's just it works and it's I mean she's incredible mm -hmm. and I suppose I wanted to sort of have a little sense of that feeling of yours patching together like scenes of someone's life to try and get the whole picture and yeah there is some logic to it but um, I hope it isn't confusing <laughs> but I think it's important to really focus on just certain moments within those those 20 years because otherwise you're going to get completely yeah. lost you have yeah. to really focus on the the sparks of the turning point charlotte i think i'm gonna have to let you go <laughs> um but i really appreciate you being with us everyone you can find our full schedule on our substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com subscribe there for updates you can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page including episodes from our past two writing challenges we did a 50-day painful writing challenge and a 31-day challenge then in march uh, you can find those also on your favorite podcast platforms and if you like what we're doing please follow rate and review our podcast that because that makes us look really, really cool. And we can then find other listeners. Okay, Charlotte, I do have some last questions for you, though. What advice would you give to authors about their own first pages? Okay, so I always say, do not get hung up on them. Do not spend hours on them. Just get straight into the story. Don't worry about setting up. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is quite um, standard advice, but it's quite common when you're first, write, you know, first starting to write that you sort of feel like you've got to explain everything and you really don't like I always you know there's that, that kind of advice to start halfway through a scene you don't need to build up to anything as you can tell like they're in the toilets you don't know anything about them but immediately you start to learn and actually I think it's more you know as a reader it's nice to piece a few bits together yourself so your brain's doing a bit of work um yeah. so yeah just get get anything down on the page don't worry about it too much keep going keep going and then come back to it once the book's finished um and you'll probably Yay. yeah delay that exposition as much yeah. as you can as long as yeah. we yeah. as long as we're clear on what is happening right in front of us we don't necessarily need to know the motivations or how they got there or the background stuff as long as it's clear what right right in front of us and sometimes some writers even play with that a little bit too yeah. um i have had the same gotten the same advice this summer a lot of people are saying just get it down just, just run forward the problem i think people have is this anxiety 
or, or this draw to go back to those first pages, to get those first sentences right, you know, to, to make sure that they have the ground beneath their feet. And a lot of people, that is their process. But for you, how do you push yourself forward? I mean, do you feel that, that magnetic draw, like, no, 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 I need to go back. And then you just, you, you have to tell yourself, nope, nope, no, nope, we keep going forward. Or do you just happily run forward to the end? Do you know, it's taken a long time. So I'm writing my 11th novel. And I would say, you know, at the beginning, I was very much like, I've got to get these opening chapters right, or I don't know what I'm doing. But I feel like the longer you do it, you just, I I have this whole shitty first draft thing is I can't plan. I wish I could plan. I'm so jealous of writers that can plan. I will literally write anything. I have a word count and I don't care if it's complete garbage. Um, I just keep going and I do not let myself, I'm very strict about this, I do not let myself read anything back until I've got at least, you know, I would say I write quite short first drafts, like 60,000 words maybe, because I'm going to go and fill it all in later. Um, So yeah, it's almost like just, it's just a very, very strong rule in my head that I mustn't look back because yeah, of course, if I start reading over it, I'll be like, oh God, no hope. And then you lose the faith and that's the thing you've got to keep you've got to keep the faith as you're writing a first draft that it will be okay. And even if it's terrible now, you're going to be able to make it better. Um, I strongly believe in this. I I feel very kind of, um, yeah, evangelical about it, really. You just have to keep going. And then whatever you write is, A, it's never as bad as you think it is. That You're always kind of nicely surprised when you read back. But also somehow in the process of writing the absolute garbage, the good stuff starts to sort of find its way to the surface. So yeah, I would just say, keep going, keep going. Don't, don't let anyone else, no one's going to read it. Like no one, no one needs to see it. So get out your own way. Keep the faith that it will be okay. I think that's excellent advice. All right, Charlotte, thank you so much for being with us. And everyone, I hope you have a fabulous writing day and I hope Charlotte has been able to help you out. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun.